It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. From our Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego, we welcome you to our Thursday podcast as we kick off a great sports weekend. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host John Riley. We welcome you to Hacksaw's Headlines. We'll be here for the next hour talking a wide variety of sports. Our Thursday podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center. Nine stores to serve you, regardless of what the project is. These can be your best friends, Dixie Line Lumber. And by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido, somewhere down the road, we're going to need help with our vision, whether it's just tests, eyeglasses, whether it's contact lenses, or whether it's surgical procedures. When it comes time to get help and advice for your eyes, North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. John Riley, it's the first day of spring training games, <laughs> Cactus League, Grapefruit Circuit. I love this start of baseball. It's always been very special to me emotionally and personally. You love baseball coming out of the gate? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's the start of a new season, spring hope eternal, right? You know, so this is all good, good vibes. They're starting a little early this year. Okay. Memories, quick memories. I grew up baseball family, East Coast, Long Island. Big thrill. First Yankee or Mets game was always on TV from the Grapefruit Circuit down in Florida. Nice. So I would watch the first game. I would keep score first game. That's first memory of spring training. Flashiest memory, I was working in Cleveland. They, I was an Indians fan. They sent me to Tucson to mm-hmm. follow the Indians for a whole week and do my sports talk show back to Cleveland. Nobody had ever done that back in the day. High Corbett Field. That was so cool. Cactus, sunshine. Again, Cleveland's always cold, always full of snow in the winter. <laughs> right. And I'm out here in the Southwest in the Cactus League with the Cleveland Indians. Love going to spring training with the Padres at Yuma. That was a cool experience, obviously in Peoria. Huge thrill when the station sent me to Vero Beach for a week to do my show at historic Dodger Town. Oh, nice. And that's where Jackie Robinson was, and that's where the O'Malley's were, and that's where Branch Rickey was, and all the great Dodger teams, you know, the boys of summer. So those were a thrill. So I always loved the start of spring training. That being said, first (laughs) inning today, Padres, Dodgers, 36 minutes long. Dodgers score eight runs in the top of the first against the Padres pitchers in the opening game of the Cactus League. And the whole country is seeing it because it's on ESPN. Uh Uh-oh. Now, I'm not going to yell, season's over. Oh, my God, the roof is falling down. (laughs) Only thing I care about opening day is Joe Musgrove got his work in. He has no setbacks. He feels okay tomorrow. He feels okay on the weekend. That's all I care about. The outcome of the game doesn't mean much, but jeez, 8 nothing in the top of the first inning with the Dodgers. And it brought back flashbacks to me opening day a couple years ago when I was doing TV, working at CW6 as a sports anchor, sports reporter. Opening day, Andy Green's first game, Petco Park. 
Dodgers 15, Padres nothing. So opening day as it relates to Padres-Dodgers, not real good. But I love the start of the Cactus League and the Grapefruit Circuit way back since I was a young kid collecting baseball cards and watching games on TV. Yeah, yeah. it's a great time of the year. Um, And, you know, football's over and kind of starting up a new season. As a kid, I remember being in San Francisco looking at the green sheet sports section of the San Francisco Chronicle. And I was just starting to follow the San Francisco Giants. And they were always... You know, in the mid-70s, they were not good, but they would always do really well in spring training. And here I'm like a nine-year-old kid. And I'm like, why can't they win like this in the regular season? Um, but it was always a thrill to go to the games. You know, I never went to Yuma or certainly not to Dodgertown, but Peoria, Scottsdale, did a little bit of that circuit there in the Phoenix area. It's a great uh, load of fun. Yeah. A reminder as we get started, John, when we're done, we invite everybody to join us with what we call Fans Forum Explain to all the people on our live stream what Fans Forum is all about. Yeah, so you can get involved. You have a question or comment for Hacksaw. Maybe you want to talk about the Padres getting off to an 8 nothing deficit right out of the gate. Drop your comment in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, and we'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. And a reminder, we want you to join our team. We started something called Hacksaw's Insiders Group. You go to my website. Right there is the address at the top, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. There's a big orange box. Just register because we got some things we're planning to roll out in 2024. You'll get on our mailing list because we do a lot of different things. Other things, subscribe to our podcast because we put a lot on the podcast during the week. In addition to just the podcast, we put a lot on our YouTube channel. You'll get the notification the minute we put something up and give us a thumbs up. Give us a five-star rating. That helps a lot. John, we got a ton of topics on the table. <laughs> a ton. And we've thrown the first pitch in baseball, so let's start there. Okay, well, let's talk about a little bit about the Padres here. They have some pitching challenges. We saw it in the first inning. Yeah, yeah losing to the Dodgers 8 nothing in the first inning. Uh-oh. Uh, the Padres are going to be patient. This Padres spring training camp is all about the words opportunities. Let's run through the laundry list of names we have there on our board. You know, there are still veteran pitchers out there they could look at, they could talk to. The question is how much money do they have left? Hin Jun Ru is not one of them. He is gone. He has just signed an all-time record contract with the Hanwha Eagles. He's going back to Korea. Hmm. Uh, A $12.4 million deal spread out over four years. All 12.4 is guaranteed. Uh, This guy, of course, was outstanding with the Dodgers, went to Toronto, has had some arm problems. His career record, though, is 78 and 48, and he pitched really well. It's obvious to me the Padres don't have the amount of money in the checking account to give him the contract that might match the 12.4 guaranteed that he got to go to Japan. Trevor Bauer is out there. Nobody is expressing any interest in a guy that's 83 and 56. It looks like he's either been blackballed out of the league or he's just self-destructed. Michael Lorenzen, you remember him? All-star guy represented the bad Detroit Tigers, threw a no-hitter last year after the All-Star game, still unsigned. I mean, the history is he was 9-9, nine and nine, had a high ERA well over the fours, has had only one decent year in Major League Baseball. Padres have Talk to him. Nobody's moved on him at all. Mike Clevenger, Padres, Indians, White Sox, once upon a time, a real bright light, a little bit uh, of a free spirit. He's had a bunch of injury issues. Nobody's made a move on Clevenger yet. 
Once upon a time, Thor was really big. Noah Syndergaard, New York Mets. I mean, he was a dominant guy. He's had shoulder, forearm problems, and has now just become a journeyman bouncing around. It's kind of tough to see because he was a really dominant pitcher. Syndergaard, ex-Met, ex-Philly, ex-Dodger, ex-Angel, ex-Cleveland Guardian. Tough situation for Syndergaard. Can't find a home. Once upon a time, he was brilliant. Zach Greinke, not just with Kansas City, but with the Dodgers, with Houston. He's moved around a lot. Looks like he's at the end of the road. He still wants to pitch, but his record last year of the Royals was 2-15. and 15. Not mm. real good. Eric Lauer, former Padre prospect, did okay here. Went to Milwaukee, did okay. Then he had injury issues. Eric Lauer still out on the street. I think he's recovered from the, the shoulder issues that he's had, but nobody's given him an opportunity yet. He probably has to take a minor league contract, at least get into some of these organizations. So those are the guys that are still out there. The Padres, obvious to me, still need pitching help. And the last name on the board is Eric Hosmer. And the reason we put that up there, he just announced his retirement. Former Kansas City Royal, former Padre, former Red Sox, former Cub, first baseman, some power, at one time gold glove, He just retired, and the Padres owe him $25 million more. They (laughs) owe him $13 million this season, $12 million next season. To get him out of here, when they traded into the Red Sox, they had to trade $39 million cash to make this deal happen. So the Padres are still paying on Eric Hosmer. It didn't end up well. I think it, it tends to be one of the really lousy deals amongst a number of lousy deals General Manager A.J. Preller has made. So, John, I threw a lot at you at the aftermath of the eight-run Dodger first inning today. Your reaction to any of those names on that Padre board? Well, clearly, Trevor Bauer is the guy they need to sign. I mean, he's the only legit pitcher on that list. Every one of the other guys are on the downside of their career, the injuries, I mean, I imagine if I'm A.J. Preller, I'm thinking, why would I want to spend, you know, whatever it is, $5 million, $4 million on Thor, when I can just give my young guys a chance? And I think that's probably what they're thinking, right? I think that's what the next 30 days will be, opportunities. That's been every conversation anybody's had with either Preller or Mike Stilt uh, has been opportunities. So they're, they're going to go through spring training uh, and then see, and that's why they still have some money, not a great deal of money. Uh, $18 million, I'm told, is what they have left to spend. Uh, there's still $101 million beneath last year's spending level. I mean, their payroll at this hour is $149 million. There's not a lot of guys out there. You know, I, I guess we'll ask the question. For those of you who are baseball fans, jump into the fans form and tell us, would you, if you were the Padres— Knowing what they have on the roster right now, would you make a run at Trevor Bauer as we get towards the end of spring training? Because as John just correctly alluded to, virtually every one of those guys has issues, some off the field, a lot of them physical issues, surgeries, etc., an age issue along the way. So join us in fans form right now. Get into the chat box and give us your spin because Bauer is the most legitimate guy that is still out there, unless you're going to make a trade. And I don't want to see the Padres do any of those trades. Can we talk a little bit about Hosmer just for a minute? Go ahead. Fire away. So when they signed Hosmer, you remember the dynamic is going around. The Padres only had Will Myers, a bunch of other guys like, you know, Solarte and a bunch of scrubs. They, 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 
we were excited that they were going to make a, a pitch, you know, to get this guy from the Kansas City Royals. But everyone, at least the stats gurus, the nerds, the analytics guys, they all said, no way, he's not that good. Well, he had good batting average, did hit with some power, and was a four-time gold glover, most of it in Kansas City. Got here. Wasn't quite the same guy, and then he deteriorated. Yeah, he did deteriorate. But I, I, at the time of the signing, going in, I knew he wasn't going to be dominant, but I was okay with it because it added some sort of legitimacy to the ownership group and like where they were going to make a run. But boy, was I just disappointed the way he really, you know, San Diego got on Hosmer and then Hosmer got on San Diego. You know, it's just really a lot of friction with the fans, maybe with the front office. And Hosmer just never really made the adjustment. I mean, the guy hit into so many double plays. He was not a leader and everybody thought he would be a leader. He was really standoffish in that clubhouse to go to talk to him. It's just a weird vibe. Will Myers was a simpleton, but Will Myers was congenial. Will Myers would talk baseball with you, talk about himself, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. All the time, Hosmer just, he was AWOL. And his leadership capabilities were, were negligible. And towards towards the tail end, he just didn't want to be bothered. It was terrible. They, they spent $144 million on on Hosmer. Mm-hmm. And they spent a lot of money on Will Myers. And if... We'll have some day on one of these podcasts, uh, take me some time to do the research, we'll go through the amount of money that A.J. Preller has burned. It is shocking. (laughs) Now, is the Hosmer contract the worst of all time? It's probably going to be right up there with a number of other, quote, transactions that he had to make. Okay, we went from that baseball story to what's going on in... Around the notebook. Yeah, the notebook. Here, here's the breakdown here. Got some big names on the list. Yeah, hot topics going on in spring training. Tony Clark, the head of the union, is making his rounds. He goes to every spring training camp, holds a player's meeting. Uh, the collective bargaining agreement is, is coming up uh, about a year from now. One of the big issues with Tony Clark is what the Dodgers do, did to baseball. Is that good for baseball? We're talking about the spending spree. Uh, is that good for baseball? And what about the deferred contract? Does the union have any input as to whether that's good for baseball? Uh, Tony Clark didn't want to get into too much detail about what transpired, but he says the deferred contracts do not involve the union. The deferred contracts are a player-agent-team relationship. Yeah. And he says if they agree to a deferred contract with interest, that's okay. If they agree to a deferred contract with no interest, the Otani contract, that's okay because the team agreed to it, the agent agreed to it, the player agreed to it. So he's washed his hands of the deferred contract situation. It is that agreement, and he's not going to get involved in that conversation. Next one is Scott Boros, the super agent. Enormous commentary around Major League Baseball with a first pitch in the Cactus League today. Blake Snell's at home in Seattle watching it on TV. Mm-hmm. Jordan Montgomery is home in St. Louis watching it on TV. Cody Bellinger is at home in Chicago. Same storyline. So is the DH, J.D. Martinez. And the question is, Boris has not come to agreement with all his marquee free agents. Is that good for the players? To which Boris's response is, I represent top-of-the-line players. If an owner wants to improve his product on his team for the fans in his stadium, he just needs to call me. So Boris says, it's on you, John (laughs) Riley. Your team has not called to make 
the state-of-the-art offer to Blake Snell or <laughs> Montgomery or Bellinger or J.D. Martinez. Third topic on the table, Boston Red Sox. Not had a good offseason. Not the same franchise as it was just a couple of years ago. John Henry, Fenway Sports Group, seem to be spending their money other places, a.k.a. the English Premier Soccer League mm. and NASCAR. So this week, we had Mike Trout sound off, informing Angels owner Artie Moreno, go sign one of those marquee free agents. Aaron Judge, informing Brian Cashman of the Yankees, we need pitching. Go sign that free agent pitcher. And now Raph Divers, the Red Sox star, young star, one of the last remaining stars on their team, Raphael Divers goes public and says to ownership, this is your offseason, the roster you have given us in Winter Haven, Florida. He's <laughs> And he says, you owners know what we need. Go get what we need. So that, there's something different going on in baseball in terms of the players. Now the players are standing up and they're, they're popping off at the owners. That's kind of mm-hmm. novel. That's really, really different. I like it. So we got that. And then we got got the fourth topic on the table. Guess who's in left field for the Yankees beginning this weekend? Juan Soto. He's excited about playing for the Yankees, excited to be in Yankee Stadium. Um, doesn't want to talk about his contract. You got a question about my contract? I have a contract through the World Series. You have a question about my contract? Call my agent, Scott Boris. You want to talk baseball? I'll tell you about playing in New York and playing at Yankee Stadium and the right field porch and all that. And what happens? Uh, his first batting practice strikes out on three pitches down <laughs> down in Tampa. So this is going to be interesting to watch this because I guarantee you him playing in the Big Apple is different than playing in America's finest city or playing on the Beltway for the Washington Nationals. Mm-hmm. The focus is going to be on him every minute, every at-bat. The media will be relentless in that clubhouse in front of him all the time. You talk about culture shock. Dude better hit like the dude hit in Washington rather than how the dude hit in San Diego. It'll be fascinating to see this relationship. So, John, those are baseball headlines. Go go anywhere you want. Well, it's interesting that Bogarts and a lot of these other players, not Bogarts, uh, Devers, and a lot of these other players are calling out ownership. It reminds me of the NBA, you know, when like LeBron and D Wade are trying to get their team together and working with ownership to, you know, and, and just like what LeBron's doing with AD and, and with the Lakers. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I think the players should call them out. They want to compete, but you know, you, you love to see the owner's balance sheet, really, because do, do they just go for it one year, get the fans excited? And and then kind of dip down in quality and then ride it out for a while to maximize profit? Is that what's going on here? You think? Yeah, you think? Um, I wrote something on a column, and I also put it on my Twitter account. I used the phrase, and I was making reference to the Dodgers spending spree and how great it was what the organization had from a capability standpoint to do, to go get Otani and go get Yamamoto and then go get Tiosca Hernandez. All that was really special. And I said, can you imagine being a Pittsburgh Pirate fan or a Detroit fan or a Kansas City fan? And here you have the Dodgers going shopping at, what's the big department sport? Neiman Marcus? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Your wife's been there, I know. <laughs> here you got the Dodgers go to the offseason, go shopping at Neiman Marcus. And the Pirates or the Royals or the Tigers or whoever small market, they go shopping at Dollar General. Is that fair to the fans? 
that that quote wound up in a Pittsburgh column. A guy in Pittsburgh picked up my quote and used it making reference to the Pittsburgh Pirates and why you do business the way you do. Why do you shop at Dollar General when it comes time to get players? So it's fascinating. Uh, thoughts on Scott Boris? Oh, well, I mean, they call it the Boris Four now. I, yeah. I've been seeing they've been titling it that, kind of like we had the Fab Four. I don't know. It, 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 the, like you say, they're, they're starting games now. And, and Snell, it makes you wonder what Snell and Montgomery and those guys, what they're doing to keep themselves fresh. You know, they must be working out every day trying to cool. keep up with it. But it's got to be really hard. And now you're probably second guessing. If you're Snell, are you second guessing Boris? Did he lead him down a path that was unrealistic and Snell's going to get screwed as a result? I don't think so, because Boris, historically does put his guys on teams and winds up getting them the payday. Now, the, now there are players that it has not worked out. You know, Adrian Beltre entrusted Boros with everything, and Beltre was a really good Dodger. He wound up going to a bad Seattle situation. He got his money, but he wasn't happy, mm-hmm. and his stats suffered because that was a weird stadium to hit in. Eventually wound up in Texas, great career, resuscitated everything, going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So the guys, I think for the most part, John, they trust Boris, that Boris will get them. The thing is, you're getting your money, but are you getting to the right team or are you getting to a team that desperately needs you at the last minute because there's been a bad injury, et cetera? I don't sense, and again, it's only February 21st, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't sense that there's any panic yet. But, you know, if we if we get into the second or third week of March and these guys have not landed on their feet— now you wonder whether or not anybody's going to pay the price. Um, and then the players have to rethink, well, take a shorter-term contract. You know, there are shorter-term contracts out there for Blake Snell. I was told three years, $150 million. I was told Yankees. I was told Angels. Why not take three years? Re- you know, go have another good year. You're going to get 30 mil. Go have the three-year paydays. And if you're still healthy— you go back into free agency for one more kick at the can three years from now. So that well, did, has, a, has a three-year, $35 million offer been made? I was told the Yankees' last offer was six years, 150 and it had no opt-outs. You have to stay here for all six if we're going to go to that price tag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was told that would never got a response. Then I heard, well, somebody would offer three years, 90 mil, which is 30 mil per. Three years, 90 mil from the Angels. That's a very feasible, very doable contract for both sides. I think it's win-win for both. But if the agents convince the pitcher, it's got to be seven years and it's got to be $35 million per, and the player is bought into it. So he's sitting at home in Seattle watching Padre games like we're sitting here in San Diego watching the Dodgers score eight runs in the first inning against the Padres. What's Scott Boris cut of a contract? Is it 10%? I think it's 5%. Five. At least that's what it used to be for significant agents, mm-hmm. which is a significant amount of bank. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we go from baseball. Let's go to college football. It finally happened. Yeah, they're, 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 they're organizing the playoffs in a different way. I want to hear this breakdown. Well, initially the idea was would have six guaranteed slots, six at-large teams, when they go to the 12-team format. Hmm. But with the demise of the Pac-12, they've changed it. It's now going to be called 5 plus 7. You'll take the five top conference champions, ACC, Big Ten, SEC, Big 12, and whoever's the highest-ranked conference champion from the group of fives, that can be from the AAC, from the Mountain West, from all those other lower conferences. 
those five top-ranked champions guaranteed slots. Then you'll have seven at-large teams who will be chosen. That could be the runner-up in the Big Ten. It could be somebody else that had a great season and maybe didn't qualify for the championship. We'll have seven runner-ups will be the at-large teams. Five will play 12, six will play 11, Mm -hmm. seven will play 10, eight will play nine. That's the first-round matchups. Those games will be at the home field of a higher-rated team. Okay. Okay. Then second round, third round will be the bowl games on New Year's Day. All those bowl games will be for second and third round of the playoffs, and then there'll be the championship game, obviously, uh, would be coming up in late January. Uh, it's it's the best thing you could do considering what the hell happened to the Pac-12 conference. However, there's something really different that nobody ever considered. The rankings. CFB, College Football Playoff Committee, they're going to have their own set of rankings to determine mm. who goes to the bowl games. Now, the conference champions are the conference champions. But the other seven at-large bids, that's going to come from their rankings, and their rankings are going to be full of all types of things like strength of schedule, margin of victory, tradition, things of that nature. So they will they will meet towards the end of the season, and they will put out rankings every week, and then they'll get to the finish line after the, the conference championship games are played, and they'll rank, and then they'll rank the at-large teams. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. The thing that I like about this is we are not excluding a group of five champion. We're not excluding Boise State or the potential of San Diego State or Fresno State. We're not excluding anybody from the AAC. Uh, We're not excluding anybody from the Mid-American Conference. But the reality is, you know, unless you're 13-0, you're going to have a hard time getting into this playoff field because there's an asterisk now. There's no limit on how many teams can be taken from one conference. Does this become the Southeast Conference Invitational? Because there's so many good <laughs> football right. teams there. So the committee will have its own rankings. So we'll take the top five. They automatically qualify. The next seven will be their rankings. Their rankings could involve four teams from the SEC or four teams from the Big Ten. So you get excited if Old Miss is going to wind up somewhere in the midst of that against Iowa. <laughs> I know you've been a proponent. My big theory is now that it's going to go to 12, John, we're going to have some 50 to 7 blowouts in these playoff games. And is that really good? I don't know. You're going to yell at me about, hey, we're going to give Wyoming the opportunity because yeah, yeah. they had a once-in-a-lifetime great season. Okay, but this is not like March Madness. So anyhow, that's what they've done. Uh, the ranking system, that that story just kind of leaked out after the formula was released. I said, oh, they're going to rank them. It's not going to be anybody else's rankings. They're going to rank them. And the fact that there's no limitation as to how many can be in the seven at-large package no limit in the conference. Like I said, Southeast Conference Invitational. Yeah, that's what it's looking like. Yeah. I mean, but I, I do like the idea that they have their own rankings. It's a little bit like basketball with Ken Palm and RPI. Mm-hmm. They had all these different analytics models. So I guess we'll see a little more of that, which is good. Um, but there's still only one guarantee for a group of five. Right. And, you know, is a group of five going to make those seven wild cards? Probably not. That's the issue. You could have a 13-0 and Miami of Ohio. 
But if you got a group of five, Boise State, that's 13-0, and they're going to probably get in. I can't see Miami of Ohio or somebody from one of these other group of five yeah. conferences have enough juice to be able to be in the rankings because you got the group of five champion already guaranteed. Yeah, and then and on top of it is, imagine if you're in the NFL and they said, well, you know, uh, the winner of the AFC West is guaranteed to get in the playoffs. But if you won the NFC Central, we're not sure. That's kind of a down conference. So we may have a selection process to let you in. I mean, imagine if the NFL did that. See, you wanted this. You wanted everybody on the planet to be in college football play. Oh, I do. I mean, I would love to see you. You're this is yelling 12. At me in September. I Let's remember that. Let's go to 32 teams. Let's open oh. this baby up. Um, it is interesting that some of the games are at the home stadium rather than making those some of the lesser bowl games, you know, like the Tangerine Bowl or something. Or well, the Holiday Bowl. Or the Holiday Bowl. Yeah. So that, I kind of would prefer that because, boy, if you have a home field advantage in that first round, it's, that's when you're really going to see a 60 to 7 game. Yeah. And I think there's a real sidebar impact here by virtue of the playoffs, John, is the second level of bowl games. I mean, the Holiday Bowl means a hell of a lot to our community. A lot of people work very hard in our community. And it's like all these second level bowl games just don't carry the clout or the importance anymore and the luster and the, the, the yeah. sparkliness. It's just not there. Yeah, but if, the, if we open this thing up, the fans will flood in. Good for the Chamber of Commerce. Okay, that's where we are. So you're a college football fan. Do you like the 5 plus 7 format? Are there some inequities? Time for you to join us. Get into the chat box right now for Fans Forum. Hey, our podcast, as we get to halftime, is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Nine stores in San Diego uh, to work with you on projects. You know, whether it's kitchen counters, whether you're going to renovate the bathroom, you want to put in bookcases, things of that nature, lighting. If you need to do projects outside, patio, swimming pool, windows and doors, these are the pros to do business with. I do it. John's done it. Mm-hmm. Our studio is yeah. right here because yes, of Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center. These can be your best friends with the next project that's coming up. And our podcast brought to you by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. From cataracts to glaucoma to cornea surgeries, extensive screening to testing, from glasses to contact lenses, these are the people you need to rely on. North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. We're here at halftime, our Thursday podcast. John, before we jump into other topics on the table, just remind everybody about what happens at the end of the show, Fans Forum. Yeah, Fans Forum. Looks like the Winnipeg guys all rolled in. So it's just loaded with comments and questions in Fans Forum. If you have a question for Hacksaw, any comment on sports, Type it in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, and we'll get you involved in Fans Forum. And a reminder, we want you to join our team. We're starting something called Hacksaw's Insiders Group. Just go to my website and register. Uh, it's a big orange box right on the home page. You'll get all the data, and we are mailing stuff out on a regular basis. And, of course, want you to subscribe to our podcast. Anytime we put something new on the YouTube channel, you will get the alert. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a thumbs up. And thanks for being part of our team. We move on to the second half, John, and we 
we got to cover the story because the story is not over yet. Yeah, the Kansas City shooting. I mean, what's the latest development? Well, the police have continued the investigation, the aftermath of uh, the terrible shootings at the end of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade at Union Station. They've now charged a 22-year-old and an 18-year-old. Both of them had been wounded in the gunfire with murder. They've been charged with second-degree murder, 22 counts of a misdemeanor assault with a deadly weapon. Uh, There are two other teenagers who had guns who are still being detained and still being investigated. The police have indicated that those people may have fired guns, and they still are of the opinion there are other people that they're in search for that they think were part of shooting incidents in that incident. So this case is far from closed. More arrests likely beyond just the two that have now been hit with the murder charges. And the story goes on and on and on. And boy, did we get a lot of response to my (laughs) commentary about guns and screening people before they're allowed access to guns. Yeah, I mean, there's been all kinds of discussion, you know, especially when you kind of poke the bear here with a little bit of political talk. But um, these are these are youth. They're, they're young. They they probably got the guns illegally. I know you're a proponent of, you know, the, the background checks, and I am to a degree as well. But that wouldn't necessarily solve this, right? So, I mean, I'm glad that they're doing the focus. They're finding the people that committed this, you know, this, this was a murder and, and, and or at least a, a manslaughter. They got to take the right call here with the with the police but i i again i as a fan a sports fan i love the fact that we're covering this in the in the podcast it's just kind of different a lot of people don't agree with you but that's okay that's okay i mean that's why people come and watch a podcast they want to hear some opinions so we go from that story to the real big story that's just about to happen in neon lights it's called nfl free agency yeah the quarterback derby look at these names on the big board here's the big story we we have this week Teams could franchise tag players, which keeps them off the free agent market. Nobody has issued a franchise tag yet to any star free agent. The second big story is here comes free agency about two weeks from now. And when that free agency kicks in, there are a ton of teams that are in desperate need for quarterbacks. And there are teams that have quarterbacks that they might be able to shop. Nice headline quarterback derby about to begin. Let's just run through these lists. Evidently, the Chicago Bears are shopping Justin Fields. The young quarterback has been there three years. I think he's gotten collectively better and better, though he's been hurt. But they have the number one pick, and evidently they are going to take Caleb Williams from USC, which means they are shopping Justin Fields. And there are a ton of teams behind them on the first round of the draft that are in desperate need of a quarterback. I hear that they have talked to Atlanta. They have talked to Minnesota. Those teams are in that 8, 11, 13 bracket. The Raiders are at 13. Second name is Kirk Cousins. He's made so much money as a Minnesota Viking. They're not franchise tagging him. I don't think they can resign him. Minnesota's got a major problem because they have to deal with two of their top other young players who contracts are up, Daniil Hunter, the defensive end, and Justin Jefferson, who's got only one year left on his deal. You can't keep Cousins and then pay the going rate to Hunter or to Jefferson. We think Cousins is probably going to go on the open market and be a free agent. 
Third one is Baker Mayfield, and all of a sudden, he's starting to get a lot of play from other people, aside from the team that he played for last year, Tampa Bay. I heard New England is now interested in Baker Mayfield. Tampa Bay had hoped to sign him before the free agent window opens on March 11th, where people can sign. At this point, he's yet to sign. We're waiting to see what happens with Russell Wilson. Will this be Sean Payton's decision to move on and start this rebuild with a a new young quarterback? Will it be stay the course with Russell Wilson? The problem in Denver, if they release him, 45 million cap hit. That's a significant amount of dead money. A quarterback who's going to be moved, either traded or released, though I don't think he's got much market value, is Zach Wilson, former high number one draft pick in New York with the Jets. Uh, Aaron Rodgers takes over. Wilson has nowhere to play. Jimmy Garoppolo, who can't stay on the field because of injuries, despite what he did briefly in New England, what he did in San Francisco, didn't get done with the Raiders. He's going to be released probably within the next week. Amongst the free agent quarterbacks out there, ex-Tennessee Titan Ryan Tannehill. There's a report he might be going to Pittsburgh. The gunslinger Gardner Minshew, who's kind of a rent-a-vet, did a good job with the Colts, but... You know, the Colts have their quarterback coming back, Anthony Johnson, from last season. Sam Darnold, number one draft pick, didn't work with the Jets, back up in San Francisco, probably going to go on the open market. Uh, Most intriguing name to me is Drew Locke, who was a high Bronco pick, was included in the Seattle trade that brought Russell Wilson to Denver. In cameo appearances, he's really been competitive. He's never really had a true start, a long period to show what he can do, but Drew Locke might be interesting. Carson Wentz, been there, done that, has been with a whole bunch of teams. And a unique one is Easton Stick, the backup quarterback of the Chargers, who was pretty competitive after Justin Herbert got hurt, but they just never scored a lot of touchdowns when he was running the offense on those scoring drives. He goes on the open market, somebody running a unique offense that might fit his his talent skills might well take a run at him. So we're going to be talking a lot of NFL quarterbacks in the in the following weeks, but that's a sneak preview of what's going on. So what do you think? It's an interesting when you look at all those names and all of them have had moments, you know, where we thought, hey, this guy could be good. Sure. You know, it was Carson Wentz came from like a D2 school, didn't he? Yes. And so maybe this guy is going to pan out. And every one of them, they flamed out, you know. Well, Baker Mayfield maybe is kind of having a bit of a comeback. He He's probably one of the more interesting names on that list. But Jimmy G, you know, he was always kind of hanging on by a thread with the 49ers. So these guys will probably cycle around. I mean, is there a team that's out there that that just needs a veteran quarterback and they want to spend their draft picks elsewhere? Half the world. Half the world. <laughs> I mean, it's so, amazing. Yeah. I mean, so, you got at the top, you got Chicago's got number one and will trade Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington's got number two. They don't have a quarterback. Uh, New England's got number three. They don't have a quarterback. And then you drop a little farther down. You got Atlanta, you got Minnesota, you got the Raiders, maybe you got the Denver Broncos, and that's deeper into the first round. And the question is can any of these guys overpay the price to jump up the board to get one of the top college quarterbacks? Or do they just say, I'll trade you a third round pick and give me one of those guys, et cetera? And do they have any cap space to sign a, a star like Kirk Cousins? It's, it's fascinating how this thing has evolved. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at these names like Easton Stick, by the way, he's got a great name in the, in the world of football. What was his backstory? Because I don't remember him as a college player. North Dakota State, 1AA. He's the one that replaced Carson Wentz. Oh, oh, wow. And Carson Wentz went to the NFL, did well early, got hurt. He's never been the same quarterback since and has gone team to team to team. But Stick Stick is back here as a backup to Justin Herbert, and he got the chance to play. He was really competitive, and he's a really good athlete, and he's a really smart kid. 
didn't score any touchdowns when they had all these drives and he'd make some plays and they score a lot of touchdowns, didn't win much at the end of the season. So, you know, he's young, athletic, suspect rather than being a prospect. Well, who who of all these guys is the one that you would take a gamble on, assuming the money was the same for all of them? I'm fascinated in, in Drew Locke, a great career at Missouri. Went to Denver, got thrown on the field, bad situation, got benched, got included in the Seattle trade, didn't get much opportunity until Geno Smith got hurt. And then he played for the Seahawks at the end of last season for Pete Carroll, and Drew Locke played pretty doggone well. Didn't turn the ball over. And that's one of the afflictions of all young quarterbacks is, my God, they're coming after me, and I start throwing into coverages I shouldn't throw. Drew Locke, to me, is, is more interesting than anybody because he's had some experiences. Uh, I don't know what to make of Zach Wilson. I've watched a lot of Jets games, and he always seems to be a day late on his delivery. He always seems to be throwing into coverage he shouldn't. And we're talking about a third-year guy, and I shouldn't be doing this at this point in time. Big physical specimen, no doubt about it, but no consistency to his game. So if I were looking and I had a few dollars left— I'd take a run at Drew Locke. And again, these organizations, John, they'll sit there and they'll look at every snap that quarterback has taken in the NFL. They'll break down all his games. So they, they have much more incisive approach to evaluate what he does well, what he can't handle. Is he in over his head? Uh, is he victimized because he's had a crap team around him? I mean, there's lots of things that these player personnel guys and these scouts will evaluate. You walk in, walk in the when I was the voice of the Chargers, I'd walk into the coaching offices and they would have walls, walls and walls and walls of cassettes. Mm-hmm. And they'd have a cassette on Drew Locke where they break down all his game film and then have a cassette on Carson Wentz. Uh, I'm saying yeah, if, I know you you're mean. evaluating quarterbacks, mm-hmm. every, every player's got a cassette with highlights, lowlights that these staffs, these quality control guys, that's all they do is look at video and excerpt plays and put it here in that folder. So that's what NFL coaches do now. Well, on this list, is there any quarterback that you think is going to be done? They're going to retire. They're not going to play next year. Uh, that's a good question. I, I, that that's a really good question. I would say once, but he's been on the street before. You know, Darnold is now kind of just a periphery guy. Uh, Garoppolo's had three kicks, kicks at the can with three different teams. Mm-hmm. So maybe he winds up going somewhere on a minimum contract and prove yourself that you can be my backup quarterback because I don't think I don't think he's a starter right now. And he's had so many injuries, he just can't stay on the field. So it's fascinating to see how the NFL, they evaluate every player. Every coach's office has got bookcases of cassettes of offensive tackles or cornerbacks. It's fascinating if, if you got inside a pro football organization's war room, coaching staff's offices. You would see that everywhere. It's really... Well, hopefully it's all digital now. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. Exactly. But that, I'm just telling you from quote sure. back in the day. Okay, we go from there. Let's go to basketball. Yeah, the Aztecs went to Utah State and it didn't turn out the way Aztec fans wanted it. Tell you what, it's hard to believe. I mean, this is still a really good team, but it's not a very consistent team. And they got tagged again at Utah State. Um Jaden Ledee had to do it by himself for a chunk of time, and he didn't play very well. Finished with 23. The bigs, all the young guys, bad boys, as I call them, (laughs) they had seven baskets. I thought they played pretty well in chunks of time to keep San Diego State in the game and getting them back. But the guards didn't shoot well. Uh, Micah Parrish, Butler, combined one for 12 shooting. Uh, Aztecs were three of 19 on threes. 
just and I guess the thing that's alarming here we are with two plus weeks to go in the re- regular season before the conference tournament, and there's still not a lot of consistency. You know, they are four and seven on the road in their five biggest games on the road in the conference. They got punched in the mouth. Mm-hmm. They have only one quality win on the road early in the season, Gonzaga. Right. But the way Gonzaga's playing, they did beat St. Mary's at home, but the way St. Mary's is now playing, I don't know the Aztecs could beat those teams now. So they've got an albatross that's around their neck, that it's not a complete team. It's not a team that's shown consistency, despite what the bad boys have done, because I think those those kids have grown, but there's still not a lot of consistency. And I guess as we go towards the conference tournament, I, the words I will use, who can you trust to mm. help Ladie once we get to the conference tournament? Granted, conference tournament, kind of a neutral floor. There'll be Aztec fans. I understand that. There won't be the altitude. There won't be the raucousness that you get in Logan, Utah, or Laramie, Wyoming, or Boise, etc. But who can you trust? John, the floor is yours. Well, I, I watched the game, um, and I think it was just they were just not— they were cold shooting. You know, the, the rebounds were good. The turnovers were low. Um, they played well as a team. They just couldn't hit their shots. And you look at Micah Parrish, and you're like, what happened to this guy? He used to be hitting threes, consistent double-digit score, and he kind of faded away. Reese Waters is in sort of a funk, you know. He's not even starting anymore. But he seems a little hesitant to shoot the ball, and that guy's got a sweet stroke. So you wonder. And, you know, Miles Heidi and, and you know, Saunders, they're kind of muscling around down there, but you need your guards, your wingmen to really hit those shots. That's where the focus needs to be. It feels a little bit like, you know, the early Steve Fisher days when they played terrific defense, but they would shoot like 15% from the field, <laughs> you know? They get they get issues. Now, they, they're going to they're gonna start to mop up people here because the lower echelon, starting with Fresno State, those guys are coming in to Viejas for the most part. I mean, they do have one more game with Boise at the end of the season. But it's just not the same team. But on neutral floor in a less than hostile environment, maybe it'll click. Maybe it'll start to come together. But I don't know. You're an Aztec fan. Join us in fans forum. What you see, again, level of expectation is so high now because right. of where we were a year ago this time and what the thing They're evolved They're going to make a run, though. I mean, you go to the Thomas and Mac, that's like Viejas East, right? Yep. You know, the fans will show up and you're not going to have all those crazy, rowdy kids and they're rooting for the other team. You think about this, they're 19, 20-year-old kids. So when you have that huge crowd, I mean, that's got to be playing with a rock on your shoulders. It is, but everybody else in the conference is experiencing the same thing. I mean, right. what do you think about that insane asylum at the end of the court, the show at Viejas? Right. It's Those a, people are crazy. Those frat guys have way too much time on their hands. But it's a huge advantage for the home team. That's why the neutral floor is going to, I think the Aztecs could still roll through this tournament. All right, Fans Forum looking for Aztec contribution. Fans jump on board. John, names in the news. Yeah, the high-speed sports wire. Look <laughs> at these names here. Especially the Scott Pollard story is really special. Yeah, this is, this is really something. Uh, just brief background, Scott Pollard. 6'10", 260-pound center from Torrey Pines, went to Kansas, played a decade-plus in the NBA. Uh, He's got a genetic heart problem, was hospitalized last week, uh, looking for a heart donor for a true transplant. Uh, They were really struggling to keep him alive at Vanderbilt University's medical center. The NBA interceded, used its contacts. They got him a heart. He had heart surgery last Friday. By Saturday, he was up 
walking. It's the most amazing thing I've seen. They had him with all the nurses taking steps, and he had all these needles and uh, the tree of meds on both sides of him. So he has done walking. There was an emergency setback. They had to go back in. They they added a defibrillator to help with the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a picture of it on his chest, and it's wired in to help normalize the heartbeat of the transplanted heart. Because the biggest issue when heart transplants is body rejection. Yeah. He has not had that. They have stabilized the heartbeat. I saw him walking the length of the room yesterday on video uh, with with less of the med trees around him. Uh, and last night he was transferred out of ICU down to, to a, I guess they call it step-down unit. And they will continue there. So, so far, so good. It's an amazing story about can you imagine courage? Oh yeah, to have to experience this That's and huge. not know whether this works or something will happen an hour from now or what what happens in the future. So it's a hell of a story. Hockey. We talked about this last week. Morgan Riley, Toronto Maple Leaf defenseman, cross-checked an Ottawa player after the Ottawa player skated in on an empty net and fired a wicked slap shot rather than just poking the puck into the net. Morgan Riley took six strides across the ice, cross-checked the guy on the head, got suspended five games without pay, significant sanction to the Maple Leafs. Anyhow, they did an appeal hearing. Gary Bettman uh, was the one that heard the appeal, and he blew them out of the water. He issued like a 16-page response uh, to Morgan Riley. He said, any conversation... Anybody of the Maple Leafs made about empty net goal has nothing to do with what happened. He scored the goal the way he scored the goal. In essence, Gary Bettman said, I don't want to hear anything about the code of ethics. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have taken a slap shot into an empty net. Just that has nothing to do with the conversation. And, and then he lectured Morgan Riley when he turned down the appeal. He said, what happened after that goal? That wasn't self-defense. That wasn't an accident. That wasn't a reflex movement on your part. You skated across the ice from the blue line in to the far boards to nail this guy. And he said, if you didn't have a clean reputation, because he'd never been involved in any of this junk before, you would have gotten 10 games because it was such a violent act. Yeah. And like I said, there's people on Twitter just killing me. I said, yeah, we'll find out how violent an act it was, or whether it was just him standing up for his team. RCMP should show up with an arrest warrant. You assaulted the guy with a hockey stick, a deadly weapon. Mm-hmm. Now we'll see what you're going to say. Gary Bettman blew the Maple Leafs coach out, the general manager out, the teammates. Say, I don't want to hear anything about he's a stand-up guy. He was just representing the, the, the logo on the front of the gym. Oh, Jeez. Anyhow. Gary Bettman, five-game suspension, stands in place. I don't understand this. The Anaheim Ducks are really struggling. I do not understand them shopping Trevor Zegras. High number one draft pick, two gifted seasons. He's had a lot of injuries the last two years. He's on the trade block, and the report is the Montreal Canadiens might be willing to trade a one and a two to get Zegers from the Ducks. Zegers has got only four goals this year after back-to-back 23-goal seasons, but he's had major injuries. They're also shopping Adam Henrique, uh, their veteran center iceman, try to move him in a deal. I understand rebuild. I understand collecting assets, but... Hey, O Canada, hockey fans, you're involved, invited to jump on and fans form and give us your opinion there. Somewhere along the line, you got to stop trading players, and you need to put all these assets on the ice and let them grow and play together. And that's, that's painful to have a really young team. But the Ducks are just, they keep moving guys. They keep moving guys and keep bringing more draft picks in. 
put them on and don't work, then they trade them or they trade them too early. So I'm a little stunned at how the Ducks are doing business. And the last one has to do with NASCAR. Daytona 500. Ugly crashes right at the end. A 23-car crash with eight laps left. Mm -hmm. Five-car crash with one lap left. Um, And a real tough time for a very popular guy here, Jimmy Johnson. He struggled. He had to qualify in the twin races on Thursday to get into the 500 because your your chance to get in is based on what you did last year. And Jimmy did not have a good season his first year as a team owner. And he, he finally got in, but he finished 28th, way back of the pack. And I think this is shocking, I think, for him to have had all this great success. Seven-time NASCAR points champions, won all these big races, and he can't put a competitive team on, on, on the speedway right now. And I think the frustration level's really growing. He's got he's got multiple cars, and none of them are up to speed. None of them seem to have the, the horsepower and the aerodynamics to compete with the guys that are running up front. So. The end of his career. This is this is kind of rocky for Jimmy Johnson. That it hasn't worked out. Wow. I mean, yeah. I, I watched the end of that Daytona 500. And there was this crash right at the finish line, right with the with, leaders. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy the way that whole thing went because there were the rain delays and all kinds of funky things in that race. Um, I want to talk about that Maple Leaf situation because it's the the unwritten rules, right? Code. And, and the code. And, and this just goes back to all the traditionalists that don't like people celebrating in the end zone when they score a touchdown. And you don't know? put a bunt down in the ninth inning when you're being no hit. Yeah. Now, tell me, John, where where <laughs> in this list of rules is do I read this code? I don't see it written down anywhere. Yeah, well, it's the unwritten <laughs> rules. And it's it's a bunch of, it's a load of crap, you know? So it, it, it's a lot of these old school, traditional guys. It's just this kind of conservative mentality. And um, and I don't mean that politically conservative. I mean it like traditional conservative. And so they have to realize this is a entertainment. It's a game. I mean, imagine if, if the you're in an NBA game and, you know, the one team is up by 20 with a minute to go and the ball gets loose and the guy takes it down the other way and does a slam dunk. Do you think he should get cross-checked or should he only just do a layup because they're up by 20? The code. Yeah, it's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's absolutely amazing. And the, the junk that came out of the mouths of Maple Leaf players and their coach that this was okay that Morgan Riley skated from the blue line, took six full strides and cross-checked the Ottawa player, never saw him coming in the neck? No, no, it's not okay. I mean, it's just a fragile ego. It's a bunch of crap. So um, good on Manfred, or not Manfred, Bettman, excuse me, for, uh, you know, for you know ignoring that. But the other com- story on the line here was the Scott Pollard story. And I, I don't know medically how you kickstart a heart. I mean, you know, how do you, that's a Motley Crue reference, but how do you, put in a cadaver heart and then start it up again. I mean, I just, it, it's mind boggling. It's all wired, but it's, it's, it's modern day medicine. But you know, my biggest fear, cause we talked about this last week was rejection of the transplant heart. And that happens. But, and then when I heard late at night, I had gotten a text that they've had to add a defibrillator to help steady the heartbeat of the transplanted heart. I thought, boy, that's not good. And then to see these pictures of him actually walking with doctors and nurses. Yeah. Just walking. Now, what, ha- what happened to his original heart? A genetic heart problem killed his father. Oh. So it was an inherited thing. Mm. So he's got kids. I mean, it's it's a hell of a story. So thumbs up to Scott Pollard, the former Tory Pine star. 
Well, we've talked about a lot of topics on the table. John's references, some of it is crap. We don't have any crap from Fans Forum. It's time for John's segment of the show. Our podcast brought to you by Dixieline Lumber and Home Centers, nine stores in San Diego to serve you, and by North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. John, these are your best friends. Some of their comments will be right on. Some of them will be really off the wall, but that's okay because most times your opinions are out in left field. Go ahead and get started. <laughs> okay, let's. Uh, we got some Padre talk here. This is from Tom, and he says, Hey, the Padres are losing 8 nothing in a practice game. Let's get to May 1st before overreacting to what is happening on the field. Tom, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't care one iota what the final score was, but it was it was a bit shocking. I spilled the coffee when it was 8 nothing in the top of the first inning, and the Dodgers were at bat in a 36-minute top of the first inning. But only thing that was important is Joe Musgrove got his pitches in. He threw 24 pitches, didn't get any outs, couldn't locate the ball. He got tagged for a couple of hits, etc. The most important thing is that Musgrove wakes up tomorrow morning and has no problem with that shoulder capsule, and he can do his regimen between his starts because that's the only important thing, that there's no setbacks at all. And it'll be the same thing with you, Darvish, once he gets to pitch maybe at the end of the weekend or the first of next week in the Cactus League because those are two most important guys on their pitching staff right now. And then, obviously, you'll have all the other storylines. You know, Jackson Merrill got killed in left field on the first ball, made a great catch in the second inning. He's trying to learn to play left field. That Those are all storylines we're going to follow and who hits and do we have a legitimate DH, etc. And which young arm surfaces, etc. So, But it was a bit of a stunner. Eight nothing, top of the first inning and <laughs> I was leaving home to come do this podcast and the Dodgers were still at bat. Yeah, oh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I was watching it. And you know, I like you. I, I don't really care too much, you know, and mu- as long as Musgrove's healthy. But darn it, I mean, it's this big brother, little brother thing, and you get smacked upside the head the first game out of the gate. I mean, this is, it just doesn't bode well for San Diego. Now, sucker, March 20th, Seoul, South Korea at 3 a.m. Yeah. They score eight runs in the first inning against the Padres in the opening game of the National League season. Tone of this conversation might be a little different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So okay, let's hope that doesn't go there. Okay, let's go here to to Tamser talking Chargers. He says, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, I believe the Bolts should stay at number five and get Bowers. I think the Bolts will draft offense this year and D next year. Why would you want to give up the number one tight end and two wide receivers to trade back? Well, the question is the salary cap. That's the first issue. Who is who's going to be taken off this roster by the time we get to the draft in April? You know, if if you have to cut Joey Bosa and you have to cut Mike Williams, now your team is a little bit different, a little bit deficient in some areas. Bowers at five, he's the tight end from Georgia. He's a great player, but that's awful high to take a tight end. This general manager uh, came from Baltimore, where they have a history of doing creative things on draft day, either trading up or trading back. If I could trade, and you, Terrence, you, you raise a decent question. If I could trade back a bit, if I could go from five to ten and still get Bowers, and I think you could at mm-hmm. ten, because tight ends inside the top ten, that hardly ever happens. But if I could trade back to ten and get somebody else a second or get a third uh, round pick, if I could go... 10, top of the second, another second, top of the third that I own. If we can do that to collect more assets, I think you have a better chance to get really good players in the first three rounds. I like Bowers. Uh, There's a tackle from Notre Dame that they're looking at. Taking him at five might be okay. His name is Joe Alt. 
those are the top two I think that they've got great interest in. Well, you've said that the Harbaugh's deal is he wants to pound the ball, you know. So why would you get a, a tight end? I mean, I think he would be going for some offensive lineman, like, you know, like a guard or a tackle or something like that. That's where Alt from Notre Dame fits into the conversation. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, the, the Chargers, uh, they're also going to be losing a lot of talent, though, because of the salary cap. They're going to be jettisoning some of these guys. And Austin Eckler's probably leaving. Yeah. So you're going to need a running back somewhere, but you can get running backs second and third round. Fascinating to see. You got a lot of time going forward. And as we related, the quarterback derby is also really important, John. Okay, let's go to Tony's picks. He says, say goodbye to conference title games. Hurts the loser too much from getting in the playoffs. It's a big issue, but why do they do that, John? Oh, yeah. The money. Show me the money. Uh, conference games are not... I don't think they're going to be as important as they have been in the past. Conference titles, I don't think, mean as much. And the tragic part of what college football's evolved into, it's lowered the value and the view of what bowl games should be. And that that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. you know. So if we're going to use the six New Year's Day bowl games to play the second and third rounds of the college playoffs, what's it do to the rest of the bowl games? It's like... They're not that important. And that's sad. It's sad for the Holiday Bowl, all the great people who've worked so much in our long tradition and history of just the Holiday Bowl in San Diego. I don't care about the freaking L.A. Bowl that was created for, you know, somebody <laughs> the, the to have Jimmy a place. Kimmel Bowl? Yeah, somebody had a place to go. <laughs> but, I mean, you got, you got the Idaho Potato Bowl, the Holiday Bowl. Yeah. Uh, it's longstanding bowls. Uh, you know, the Peach Bowl, the, the Citrus Bowl, you know, what used to be the Tangerine Bowl. Those all carry important meanings in the community, and they get knocked down another level by this situation. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a perfect science. It's not. Um, I just don't understand why they can't make that the first round, you know, some bowl of those games. bowl games. But it is weird because you think you – know, you, you always talk about the cigar-smoking guys in the back room. That's who's behind all these bowl games, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like the Chamber of Commerce people, the business people, the hoteliers, the restaurants. Uh, the TV networks. The, oh, and the TV networks. Yes. So, yeah, they're the ones that are jockeying to get the bowl games in all these little cities. Makes you wonder if maybe that time has passed. You know, we're in a new era now. Maybe the bowl games are a relic. What do you think? Well, there's 43 of them now, which to me is an awful lot. Oh, that's ridiculous. Because at the end of the season, we're scuffling to see, gee, can I find a 6-16 and six team to fill that bowl? You know, I'm, I know with apologies in advance, you're a pool and weed eater bowl guy, but <laughs> uh, that, that, that's an issue. I just hate to see what's happened to some of the bowls that have been devalued now. Move on. Moving on. All right, here, let's go to Manny. He says, what do you think of the Blue Jays not doing anything in the offseason, especially signing their young stars? Well, I mean, Toronto let Matt Chapman go, but he was a power-hitting third baseman who hadn't hit for two years in a row. You know, they had to pay an enormous amount of money. They lost the arbitration case to Vladimir Guerrero. They do have young players. Um, I was a little bit surprised. I don't know that they got enough pitching, although they they, they have this pitcher who kind of went AWOL on him last year, Alec uh, Manoa. If he comes back to be what he was two years ago, then maybe that's going to solidify their pitching. So, yeah, the, the the Toronto way of doing business is catching a little bit of heat right now. But I like their everyday lineup. My goodness. Uh, you look at the guys that they've got. Uh, aside from Guerrero, they got some guys who can hit. You know, George Springer's been there on a big contract, and he's still there. Maybe not quite the same guy he was with the Astros. But I, I think they've got enough decent players there in Toronto the pitching thing to me is is kind of a bigger issue. Well, the Blue Jays made a run at Otani, right? I mean, it just yeah. they were near the end. They tried hard. 
But they've got all those players that are sons of major league players. So Biggio's kid. And Bichette. And yeah, and Bichette's a fine ball player. So that's yeah. what I said. If you take Vlad, Biggio, Bichette, George Springer, and there's one one other free agent they just signed. I, off the top of my head, I can't remember. But they've, they've got enough legitimacy in their batting order. The question is, do they have enough pitching? Hmm. Okay, moving on. Okay, let's go here uh, to uh, Tony also says, Sig, oh, we just covered that one. My bad. Okay, so let's go here to um, T. Will. And he says, Hacksaw, what do you think of Le'Veon Bell wanting to rejoin the Steelers? Do you think it'll happen? No. No. Absolutely <laughs> not. Here's a prime example of a guy making a really bad decision that wiped out his career. Le'Veon Bell was a really good running back run and catch in Pittsburgh's offense, was franchise tagged, said, I'm not signing that contract. Now, franchise tag number, I think at that time for him, might have been, I want to say $11 million. Um, Sat out a year. Didn't play for a whole year. That's a year you never get back. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Your athletic ability, that's one less year of your athletic ability. And then he bounced around, and he wound up going to the Jets. And it wasn't the Le'Veon Bell who had been in Pittsburgh. And he's moved around then. Then he had junk off the field and all types of problems there. That's a guy, for whatever reason, listen to his posse, listen to his family, listen to his agent. Why would you sit out a year when you had the chance to make, I think the franchise tag number of that year was 11 mil? And and the Steelers, who don't have a history of wasting money, said, you want to be here? Leave. We want guys who want to be Steelers. Yeah. And his career never amounted to anything from that point on. You know, last I heard he was trying to be a boxer and he got knocked out. (laughs) So, you know, he was going to do the UFC thing and he got floored. Just these guys, I don't understand why they make the decisions they make when we're talking state-of-the-art money to continue your your career at a higher level. Yeah, they're getting bad advice. Um, But, you know, you got to take the money. You know, it's like a bird in the hand is worth more than two in the bush, as they say. So, yeah, sitting out, I mean, that's just dumb. I mean, what are these guys thinking? He obviously wasn't thinking. And he's not the only one. It's happened other places. Okay, carry on, fans form. Okay, let's go to Steve talking ducks here. Hey, is it time for the ducks to part ways with Verbeek? The GM is lost, and the team is a huge mess. Us fans are tired of the constant losing. Last week, 9-2 to two loss to Toronto is pathetic. Yeah, got killed in Toronto, and prior to that, got smoked, and I think it was in Buffalo. Uh, it's really tough to force feed young kids, and they've got virtually all their young kids are up there playing right now. Now, they've been beset by injuries. That's not Verbeek's fault. But I just, and I, I saw something last night I haven't seen in a while. A lot of empty seats at the Honda Center, used mm. to be the pond, uh, for Ducks hockey. Are they making progress? The poor goaltender's getting pelted. Uh, he's got such a young group of blue liners in front of him, and those guys are playing well. Jackson Lacombe is a player. Uh, uh, Mintyukov, the Russian, is a player, and they're playing lots of minutes with Cam Fowler. Don't have enough goal scoring, but they got their guys hurt. I mean, McTavish has been in and out of the lineup. Verbeek, uh, Verbeek is not to blame for what's happened to Trevor Zegers. Um, but some of the young guys they thought were going to evolve as third and fourth year guys, some of their wingers and forwards, young guys, Max Jones, just not scoring goals. So it's it's a real tough call. 
But Verbeek has his blueprint. But, you know, that's what I was shocked they traded Jamie Drysdale to Philadelphia. He was another one that was a high draft pick that got force fed and had that played well. And I'm, sh- I'm even more shocked now with these rumblings out of Montreal that the Canadians are talking to the Ducks about Trevor Zegers. You're. You're going to get all these draft picks, but somewhere these draft picks have to evolve and to be quality players to rebuild you. And if you keep trading the younger guys away, like Drysdale, and I go move Zegras, those are supposed to be the cornerstones going forward. So I'm the, I'm those of you on my old Canada line uh, <laughs> probably have an opinion about that. Go ahead, John. I sit here next to you doing this podcast, and I, we get these questions you know, from live stream <laughs> viewers. And man, you just... Boom. Like you have all the data, you have all the information. Do you sleep at night? I mean, because you're constantly writing content. I'm trying to keep up with you with the best 15 minutes in sports and getting it out to Hacksaw's Insiders Group. I mean, what do, what do you do at home? That's all I do is I follow it. I make notes. I write about it. I write on my website every day. And then obviously we put this creative stuff together. I do the same thing at KUSI. I do the Saturday morning sports report at 630. That's what I do. So, John, just tell your wife you have this game to watch. Please don't bother me. That's all there is to it. But uh, you are right. I am bleeping brilliant. You just are. Thank you. It's unbelievable. Next okay, question. let's go on here to Schickster. He says, hey, is the franchise tag a good thing or a bad thing for teams, for players? Legitimate question. This is an NFL question. But here's the issue. Um, the franchise tag is a figure that is based on the top five average salaries of the player at that position. So, John, you're a running back. You've had two good seasons. You're a free agent. They can franchise tag you. They take the five top salaries, they average it out. That's the franchise tag for one year. That's a significant amount of money. I think the running backs this year, I think the franchise tag is going to be 12.8 mil on a one-year deal. Now, the bottom side of that, you have no security. You get hurt in a game, suffer something significant in a game, you did not get a signing bonus and you don't have a contract a year or two year three because you're tagged tagged is only one year so the player gets a payday but there's there's a sidebar risk involved if the guy gets hurt or the guy doesn't have the good season what does it do to your value the following year which is why running backs they want three-year deals and they want a signing bonus yeah and they want a chunk of the three years guaranteed so that they have some security if they get hurt they'll still have a place to play and a chance to play themselves back uh, but not many teams do it because of the amount of money. I mean, it's it's a big amount of money. Your left tackle, I want to say the franchise tag number on left tackle might be $14 million. Well, um, Wide receivers, the skull guys, that could be as high as $16, $17 million. Pass rushers, really high. So you're taking a chunk out of your salary cap to give it to John Riley, the running back. So I, I think last year there were a total of maybe 14 players got franchise tagged. And when you get franchise tag, you can either sign the tag and play one year, or you can still negotiate a multi-year deal. But most clubs don't do that. Once they tag, you say, that's the dollar value. We're not going to go back and give you more. That's We're not going to give you a three-year contract at that point. So no franchise tags offered yet. Might be eight franchise tags this year, maybe 14, but it's not like it was before. I think it's a bad deal for the players, you know, because imagine if you were working in a corporation and you got franchise tagged and you couldn't like go to another job. You know, you were stuck and and maybe you have problems with management, other people going on the organization and then they franchise tag you and you're stuck there for another year. And I'm sure you get a payday. But I don't know what, what happened first. Was it the franchise tag in the NFL or the Larry Bird rule in the NBA? Good question. I think it was the franchise tag. 
And that, that goes back a couple of different CBAs ago. Mm-hmm. The Larry Bird rule, I think, was kicked into effect in the NBA because the NBA developed a salary cap. And then the agents went back and said, we need to have some variations of the salary cap. We need to have, quote, exceptions. Mm. And then all of a sudden, the Larry Bird rule, I believe, is if you're if you're a free agent, you're an in-house free agent. And we have a salary cap. You're an in-house free agent. I can sign you to any amount of money. It does not impact the salary cap. It's a Larry Bird rule. Mm. Like LeBron James is could be a free agent. And top price for a top star in the league is going to be 50 mil. Lakers can sign him to 50 mil if they want to, but it doesn't impact what the Lakers have to do with the rest of the NBA salary cap. That's mm-hmm. the Larry Bird rule. But the, the agents, the agents control the NBA because now they put in all these different exceptions to the salary cap rule. If you trade a guy, there's what they call the mid-level exemption. You get so much money you can use to go get a different player based on the amount of money of the player who got traded. It's really complicated. I I apologize in advance, full disclosure. The day they taught sports law at Ohio University, I cut <laughs> class. I went drinking uptown uh, with a girlfriend. So I, I wasn't there the day they taught me about the salary cap, but I know what it is. It's, it's, it's really complicated. Well, you know, they put it in trying to make the game more competitive so there's some parity in the league. <laughs> but with all these exceptions, you know, still the big markets get LeBron, right? So does it really work? It works, I think, as it relates to trades. But, the, you know, the downside of, of the salary cap in the NBA now is everybody's trading and dumping contracts, not trading and dumping players. Mm. You know, prime example is what just happened. Dino Gallinari, a longtime shooting forward NBA, pretty established player, 14 points per game in his career, monster contract. Um, Charlotte gets rid of him, puts him in a package, sends him to Toronto. Toronto takes him, tells him, don't bother boarding a plane. We're going to buy you out. They dump the contract. This is happening all the time in the NBA. Guy gets a chunk of his money in the buyout, but the guy doesn't get to play in the NBA. It's just, again, agents. They saw the salary cap and say, okay, how can we finagle this around to make it different? Next question. Okay, here, let's go to Rob. He says, I'm intrigued by what the Dolphins are going to do with Tua. Well, they have to to give him big money. I mean, he is the guy. Mm -hmm. They spent the high draft picks to get the guy. And the guy played pretty well last year. He stayed on the field. He did not get hurt. Uh, and they had a pretty good season until the end of the season, although lost in all the conversation about the Sunshine offense was the fact they were 1-6 and six against good teams. They played big boys. They got punched in the mouth, and the offense went away, and then they lost to the weatherman in was it Kansas City or Buffalo. They got Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City. The weatherman yeah. beat him in that game. So uh, now he's, re- he's really gifted. He's going to get a payday. Uh, will he be the top paid quarterback in the league? No, but he's going to get a payday. Now, didn't he take Jalen Hurts' starting job with Atlanta, Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how that went well, down. Hurts transferred. Say what? Jalen Hurts transferred. He, he went to Oklahoma. He went to Oklahoma, but that was because they were playing Tua a lot when yeah. Jalen Hurts was a starting quarterback. And didn't Nick Saban like prioritize Tua as the number one? And then Jalen kind of got booted. But now you look at their NFL careers, which one do you like better? Oh, Hurts had great success early. Hadn't had great success later. Uh, Tua's had one great year, two years of injuries. So mm-hmm. I think the jury's still out. I think I think Hurts is a more complete quarterback because Hurts does run the football. I mean, he's big and physical. Uh, Hurts isn't Lamar Jackson, but he's damn close. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think Hurts is a more complete guy. But 
what Tua is gifted than what what Tua did last year and how they restructured the offense after the back to back concussion issues. I mean, he gets the ball out of there. He's a smart dude, and he went through all off season in training with Michael Vick. I was told. Uh, to learn about the offense and uh, how to handle what was going on physically in the league. And he hardly got sacked. He hardly took any hits. Now, one thing about Miami, with all the motion and everything McDaniels did there as head coach, he gets the ball out of there so quick. You can't get to him. So yeah. I mean, that's a byproduct of his talent, his learning curve, and obviously the structure of what they're running. Move on here. Moving on. It's kind of like uh, Dan Marino with that quick release. Yeah. Um, so let's go here to uh, to Comet. And he says, Hacksaw, should taking a clapper at the empty net be a penalty? I don't think so. Um, it, it, well, you're making reference. I'm not sure quite whether you say taking a clapper. Is that a cross check? Are you are you are you defending Morgan Riley, or are you telling me what he did was garbage? Um, you know, the the Ottawa player. Why would he make an emphatic slap shot into an open net? That kind of is like showing up the other guy. Yeah, but it's 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 for the fans. Yeah, but hey, Morgan Riley should have damn played better. You wouldn't be down a goal with a minute to go and then give up an empty netter to make sure the game was lost. Play better. I, I thought it was a cheap shot. And the thing that bothered I saw it, and I almost fell off the couch. I mean, the biggest thing in the National Hockey League and the NFL is the whole concussion thing. Blows to the head. And, and Morgan Riley's a rock-solid, steady veteran who does not have a history of being a cheap shot. artist for him to just lose his mind and go across the ice and whack him right here. Snapped his head. Is there a lot inherent danger in acting like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he's probably watched that slap shot movie a few yeah. too many times. Oh, <laughs> hey, can we get some social media questions there? Do it to it. Do it to it. All right, here we go. Let's uh, let's talk Aztecs here. And this is from Ben here a while. And he says, can anyone tell me what San Diego State Athletics did to the Mountain West refs, wives, and girlfriends <laughs> that they get absolutely jobbed every freaking game? When we have seven fouls against us to start and the other team only two consistently, something is up. Basketball is the easiest game to manipulate from an officiating standpoint, and the Mountain West refs have been doing it to us every single game. The only issue, and I'll take issue with what you said, the only issue I have with the refs is for some reason there is an undercurrent of feeling that they are intimidated by home crowds, that they call games at Viejas differently than they would somewhere else, and they call games for the home team at some of these other venues that have become real hot spots. Uh, and that should not be the game. A foul is a foul. Now, that being said... We got one of the best big men San Diego State has ever had, maybe ever dating back to Michael Cage. And Kawhi Leonard was a different type of player than Jaden Ladea's. And he's so physical, and he draws double coverage, and he gets pounded a lot. Um, But by the same token, you look at San Diego State's defense. They are always doing this. Oh, constantly. I mean, and that's what makes their defense so great. I'm Mm -hmm. surprised they don't have more fouls called on their guards for doing this. Mm Mm-hmm. Banging and whacking and hacking and stealing the ball and turnovers going the other way. They don't get as many fouls called there. Uh, but it, but in terms of Ladie, what the coaching staff needs to do, and they have done it recently, they need to move him. They move him a lot of places. They run him high post now up in the foul line, and he starts the offense through him. They run him low post where they get it to him. He turns and he can take a shot. Or they locate him in the middle of the lane 
And as they move the ball around, he gets the ball, short jumper, which he is really polished. But uh, I have a problem with the Mountain West officials seemingly influenced by the loud crowds. The rest of it just the style of basketball that San Diego State invites to play. And they're bad boys. They're bad boys do whack and hack. Yeah, well, Ladie gets mugged. I mean, there's yep. no doubt about that. But, you know, Mark Ziegler talks a lot about this in his UT articles about the referees. He comments every time. Now, he, he said that some of those refs in the Mountain West were refereeing the Super Bowl. So you would think that mm-hmm. these would be top-of-the-line guys. How could they be subconsciously influenced, or is it just human? I don't think it's them. I don't, you know, they had an NFL ref uh, this past weekend at Utah State. I thought they did a really good job. But I think there are some younger refs that somehow either get influenced, intimidated, or some of the calls are just, wow, where'd that come from? Or how come that didn't happen? And, you know, call should have been on the home team and it wasn't on the home team. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Ziegler does a hell of a job. He, is just, he puts so much context to the quality of the columns that he's writing. There's so much background information as to how he got to the point. I think I think Mark Ziegler is just a great journalist. Yeah, he's a terrific journalist, but Aztec fans are always down on him because he doesn't vote for the Aztecs for the AP poll as much as they think he should. Hey, let's go here to uh, this is a Dodger comment. This is from David. He says, Lee, where do I send the <laughs> Dodger sweatshirt that you can wear during your podcast? Well, my email address is right on my website. You email me and I promise I will respond in emailed you back Dodger fan pilot on first first game of the Cactus League in the first inning the Dodgers score eight runs and Dodger fan David is just pilot on <laughs> well you're wearing Dodger blue today yeah you, know, you come rolling in with that so hey let's go here let's talk a little NBA and this is from Nuance John and he says Hey, I watched some of the clips of the 93 and 94 All-Star games as well as 98, and it was a whole different game. No way those players should would have tolerated playing a warm-up session as any kind of an actual game. It needs a serious reset. Well, I don't know how you reboot it, you know, because the injury factor is a big thing. You don't want to be an NBA guy with the third of the season still to go and playoff spots on the line and go down and blow out a knee or an Achilles on a layup. Or get get clotheslined on on a play like that. So that's that's a big issue. Somebody emailed me and said, Lee, what they should do is make it make it financially viable, big time. Put a big time pot of money out there at center court, and the winning team gets to divvy up the pot. To which I say, time out. These guys are making forty and fifty million per year. And now we're supposed to reward them for playing a meaningless exhibition game? You know, the NBA Cup, the winning team, the Lakers, the NBA Cup, they got $500,000 a man. Wow. So LeBron, who's making 41 mil, gets mm-hmm. a half half mil payday for winning the NBA Cup, which to me is nothing more than a game in November. Do we have to do that? You want to do something valuable? Take that pot of gold and send it to Ukraine aid or send it to Gazda Red Cross aid. Mm-hmm. Do something different. I don't think we need to be giving rich men even more money to play the game. Oh, here comes the hate. Go ahead. Your response. <laughs> well, do you think all-star games are maybe a thing of the past? Because, you know, at one time we never got to see like the the stars in the American League. And it was great to see them in an all-star game. And it was a novelty. Baseball's all-star game still has meaning because they play hard. They and do. there is color and pageantry. Now, back in the day when you and I were young dogs, you know, we didn't get to see all these games Monday through Friday on yeah, all the exactly. different channels. You know, so it was kind of novel to see the Baltimore Orioles, Frank Robinson, because I never got to see Frank Robinson hardly at all on, on TV. 
But now all the games are on TV and all the NBA games are on TV. So, yeah, we can see Giannis, but what's the big deal? I see Giannis on Tuesday. I don't need to see him in the All-Star game and an exhibition game. I just, everybody that I know has written about it said this, you know, 211 to 186 East victory over the West was just an utter disgrace. Why are we even doing this? Yeah, it's nuts. I I want to share one All-Star memory. I remember I was a kid in the 70s following the Giants and they were terrible and they would always get one guy to make the team, right? Because every team had a representative. So I remember Jack Clark, I think he was a rookie in 77, 78. And I'm wait the whole game. You know, here I'm like eight years old and he finally gets his at-bat in the seventh inning and he grounds out. And you're like, <laughs> oh, you know? And I used to look forward to that game to see if my guys would perform and they always typically didn't quite do it. But uh, the, the other all-star memory, have you ever seen that classic photo of those dudes on a pickup truck over Qualcomm Stadium, Jack Murphy Stadium, yeah. with the television yep. and beers and and taking it all in? That's just a great f- sports photo. They got they got to solve the, the problem. It's not a problem in Major League Baseball. It definitely is a problem. The NBA, NFL Pro Bowl has now evaporated, and obviously the NHL situation, too. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our podcast going towards the great sports weekend, our podcast. Podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. There are nine stores in San Diego to serve you. You got projects you need to take a tour of Dixie Line Lumber, any one of those nine stores, and see what they've got to offer, including all their consultants. And by North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. We all need help with our eyes, whether it's glasses, whether it's contacts, whether it's vision test, or whether more significant things like surgical procedures. Think North County Eye Center. Poway and Escondido. John, will be back at it come Monday. Lots more to talk about. We'll start to zero in on NFL free agency because that's the first thing next on the offseason agenda. And then we got Cactus League, Grapefruit Circuit, a lot to talk about baseball. And college basketball is getting hot too. So it's, madness, it's a baby. great time of the year. Hey, thanks for being with us. Glad you're part of our team. Hope you'll join our insiders group. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. 